you know, we've been talking about the believer's authority. Been talking about it for about, well, I don't know, two, three weeks now. <clears throat> getting into this, and um, uh, you know, like I said, we're going real in depth, and um, we're going to take our time with it. And uh, you know, I'm in no rush because uh, one, this isn't pre- being preached very many places. Um, there's a very small percentage of believers that I come in contact with, and you'd probably find the same, that really know anything about authority. When we talk about believers, when we talk about Christians, we talk about salvation, talk about heaven, talk about being saved. Uh, you know, but we don't talk a whole lot about authority and controlling things and ruling things and dictating things. Uh, most Christians are being dictated by everything around them. Most Christians are just doing what is going on, just you know, being blown around. Uh, but the Bible says we're not supposed to be blown around by every wind of doctrine. We're supposed to be firmly planted. And so there is an authority that's associated with the believer. There is a governing, a ruling, a controlling that needs to take place. And so we need to be taking authority in our lives. And so uh, the title of my message tonight is Who's in Charge? Who's in Charge? And I actually developed this a few days ago. I did not try to tie this in with last night, um, but it kind of goes in line with what took place last night. I don't want to make a quick note about last night. Um, and this will be the last I say about it uh, for the rest of this time. Um, but, uh, you know, for some reason, there's this whole doom and gloom thing over Christians like, you know, the world's going to go to hell in a handbasket and everything's falling apart. And, you know, what are we going to do now? Look at what took place last night. Look at the next four years. Um, when you When you complain and when you worry because of who's president, you have forgotten who your source is, period. And your president's not your source, and you're putting a weight and a pressure on him that he has no business being under. Uh, if you go to your jobs and your boss and, and, and you get concerned there and you're putting weight on them because you think they're your source, then you're putting a weight and pressure on them that they don't belong under because they're not your source, period. Uh, there is still a king who's on the throne, and he's ruling. He's ruling a kingdom that is advancing and expanding, and it says, uh, the word says in Isaiah chapter 9 that his kingdom will uh, go on forever and ever, from age to age to age. There's no one going to dethrone. You can't vote in and you can't vote out the king of kings and the lord of lords. And he's your source. He's your provider. And we, we, we see who gets into presidency and we forget who is king. And there's nothing you can do about that. And so there should be more joy and more excitement. But here's why a lot of Christians, why a lot of believers get concerned during this time when things like last night take place is because it makes their job harder. It means we actually have to work because the darker it gets, the brighter we ought to shine, which means the more and more we're going to stand out because there's uh, abortion being legalized and there's drugs being legalized and there's same-sex marriage being legalized. And all of a sudden now when I was able to blend in, I'm having to take a definitive stance and position on, wow, I'm not for that. And so the darker it gets, the brighter the light gets. But if we're not careful, we'll wane in and fall in right with that darkness. And we'll just, well, you know, you know, the word's not very clear on it. It doesn't really say a whole lot about it. But God loves everybody, and God's got grace, and God's, he's a merciful person. And so we begin to blend a little bit. So if you want to 
if you're really a Christian and really a believer and Jesus is really the Lord of your life, this should be the most exciting time for you because in the next four years, you're going to have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to let your light shine before all men. We are a light in the world. We are salt in the earth. And so there's a reason why we're here. And um, so there's no doom and gloom about it. Uh, you know, obviously there's things. I'm, 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 not, uh, I, I'm not naive and uh, I'm not stupid. And I know what's taking place and I know agendas that are being pushed. I am very aware of that. Uh, there were a few more states last night that began to legalize same-sex marriage. Uh, states last night began to legalize the use of drugs uh, in their state without a prescription. Uh, I understand that. I'm not stupid. There are, are things that are taking place, but I'm not worried. I'm not concerned uh, because I am, a, I am hooked up to the life giver. I'm hooked up to a life source, and it's not hooked up to the economy. It's not hooked up to Dow Jones and the S&P. It's not hooked up to uh, whether I have health insurance or not. It's not hooked up whether we're at war or not or whether uh, all the money's going to that or all the money's going to this. I'm not hooked up to that. I'm not saying I'm not affected by it, but I have a different source. And uh, there is a different lifestyle I've been called to live. Uh, in fact, God's word tells me that I am a holy nation. I'm a whole different people, and I should be here directing traffic, so to speak, and saying, you want to go here, you want to go there, because I can take you to one or the other. Uh, you just let me know what you want to do. And so uh, I just wanted to put that in there, um, because this church isn't going to be a church that uh, walks around uh, telling people uh, you know, that you know, God hates them because of uh, you know, the lifestyles they have. But this is also not going to be a church that is going to uh, make room for your sin. And that's what we're seeing is uh, this nation is starting to run a track of just uh, making it easier for people to sin, period. I want to make it easier for you to disobey God. And so uh, I want to make it harder for people to uh, obey Satan. That's what I want to do. I want to make it hard on you. I want to make it. I want every message that you hear says, man, I can't live that way anymore. Man, I can't do that. Man, I can't think that way. I can't talk that way. I can't treat that person like that. I can't talk to my wife like that. I can't have these things going on in my home. I can't allow this stuff to come into my life. I can't allow my eyes to see that and my ears to hear that. I've got to make a change because of what I just heard. And that's what this church is going to do. And so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about what God is doing. And um, I want you to be excited about it as well. Go to Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. I'll throw one more thing in there real quick, and then I'll be done. If what you're seeing and what you're hearing causes you to worry and be concerned, then get out of it. If you're watching the news and the news makes you worry, turn the news off and get in the Word. I promise you this isn't going to make you worry. This will get you jacked excited. This will get you jacked excited about waking up tomorrow, regardless of what your paycheck is. This will get you excited about living life tomorrow and going to work with people that hate you and, and going home uh, to, to a house that just seems to be filled with chaos. This will put it in you. And so sometimes it's just because of what we're giving attention to. So I would suggest turning the TV off and turning the word on. Amen? Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 17 says, For if by one man's offense... Death reigned through the one, 
much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So we saw this a few weeks ago. There are some qualifiers here. Uh, Not everybody reigns in life. Not everybody will have control. Not everybody will have dominion. It says those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. We know that that is salvation because the gift and uh, the, the abundance of grace and gift of righteousness are made available through the cross, through what Jesus did on the cross. So if you have received that gift, if you haven't, we can pray and you can receive the gift. But if you have, uh, if you have received the gift, it says here you will reign in life, not get through life, not barely make it through life, not slip by life, reign in life. We saw one translation over the Amplified says uh, to rule as kings in this life. Rule as kings in this life. That means you have control. That means you have uh, dominion. That means you have authority. And we went back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Where in the world does this authority factor come in? For some of you, this might be brand new to hear that I actually have authority. I thought I just had to put up with life and put up with the world and put up the devil because, you know, the devil is the God of this world. So I have to just do whatever he says to do until I get out of the world. And then one day I'll get to heaven and then I'll be able to have a great, wonderful life. But this verse says that we ought to reign in this life, rule in this life as kings. We saw two requirements to rule, two requirements to rule. One, you have to be authorized. One, you have to be authorized. You cannot rule just because you think, I want to rule. Somebody has to give you permission. Somebody has to authorize you to have control. I remember when I was a kid, and if the teacher had to step out, she would pick someone in the class and say, you are in control. You're in control of the class. And so the teacher would step out, and this child was in control, which means they were now accountable and responsible to the teacher. But they weren't in control all the time because as soon as the teacher walked back in the room, they're out of control. They're no longer in control anymore. They don't dictate anymore. And they can't tell Bobby to sit down and be quiet. And they can't tell Sue to go throw her uh, lunch pack away. And you, 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 you don't have the control anymore. The teacher does. But when the child's been authorized, got the control. The second thing that you have to have to rule You have to be authorized, too. You have to have territory. You can't say, I rule, and then not have anything to rule. you got to have something. you got to have domain, because domain is where we get dominion, and dominion just means control over the domain, D-O-M, which the D-O-M also is in the word kingdom, and a kingdom is a king's domain. So if you're going to rule in life, if you're going to reign in life, rule as kings in life, one, you have to be authorized. Two, you have to have a territory. You have to have a jurisdiction. When the teacher walks out of the classroom and uh, the teacher points to uh, little Melvin in the back room and says, you are in control, I've authorized you, over the classroom, that's your territory, until I come back. Well, this is what God did. God created the earth as an extension of heaven. When he created the earth, he didn't create it with heaven in mind. He didn't create it with, let's keep it there for a little bit and then yank everybody back here. That wasn't his mindset. It wasn't his thought process. His thought process was, I want the earth to look like heaven. 
but I don't want to control the earth. I'm going to put somebody else in charge. So Genesis chapter 126 says that he created man in his image, in his likeness, with all the characteristics, with all the qualities, with everything that's necessary to rule and control and have dominion. This past week we studied uh, on Sunday about words. And one, words, the creative power of words was one of the qualities that God gave to man. Because God created the earth with words. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. Well, that's just one of the characteristics and qualities that man has. So now you have the ability to shape your world with your words. You have the ability to create things and make things happen just simply by what you're saying. If you don't believe me, uh, let me record you for the next couple of days and see what's taking place in your life. Okay? So that's just one characteristic. That's just one quality. And so when God put man on the earth, he had an intention for him to control and govern. He authorized him over the territory of the earth. But you say, well, you know, Adam sinned. So, you know, what do we do now? Adam sinned. Adam gave all that up. You're absolutely right. He gave up that authority. He gave up that control to Satan, who we know now, Jesus even said himself, he is the God of this world. Okay? Satan's in control. But then Jesus came back, and this is what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. This is as far as we got in the last couple of weeks. I told you, taking our time. Jesus came back, but Jesus didn't come back to do what we always think he did. We think Jesus came back to die on a cross, rise again, and so if I believe in him, I will be saved from hell, and I'll be whisked away to heaven one day, or at least when I die, I will get to go to heaven. That's as far as we get. And we don't look at anything Jesus talked about. We don't look at anything Jesus preached. We don't look at anything Jesus had to say, because Jesus only once talked about being born again. And he didn't preach it. He told one man in the middle of the night named Nicodemus. And he said, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. He never preached about heaven. If that was his whole purpose, if that was his whole mission, was to get everyone to heaven, then why didn't he ever talk about it? He never talked about it. But constantly, over and over and over, he's talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like this, and the kingdom of God is like that. He said his first message when he came to the earth, as soon as he got out of the wilderness from being tempted by Satan for 40 days, he said, repent, change your thinking. That's what repent means. Repent means to change your thinking. Repent does not mean come down to the altar and ask to be uh, you know, forgiven of your sins so you can go to heaven. Repent, the word literally means change the way you think. He said, change the way you think, for the kingdom of God is at hand. At hand means near, within reach. It's near you. In fact, there was one time he told his disciples, the, the kingdom of God is within you. So all he talked about was the kingdom. That was his entire mission. Luke chapter 4, 43, uh, he tells his disciples, we must go to the other countries uh, the other nations, the other villages, because I have to preach the kingdom of God because that's why I'm here. My whole mission. 
well, what about the cross? What about salvation? What about being born again? What about going to heaven? Those are byproducts. I told you last week I didn't buy my truck and spend $20,000 on a vehicle for a radio. The radio was the byproduct. The truck was to get me from point A to point B. Amen? So the cross gets you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, which we'll read here in a minute. And heaven is a byproduct. But that was never meant to be the goal. That was never meant to be the focus. And so what do we tell people whenever we want to get them saved? Hey, if you died tonight, do you know where you would be? So from the beginning, from the first time you prayed the prayer, you're already thinking, heaven. You're thinking this bright, shiny place that's up in the sky somewhere, and we forget everything that's here. So no wonder we're not ruling in life. We miss the whole point of why Jesus came. But we saw that when Jesus came, he did he, he did something incredible, something even more incredible than getting you to heaven. He gave you access and dominion back in the earth. He restored the kingdom of God. He restored what Adam lost in Genesis. You may have never tied Matthew chapter 27 and Mark chapter 15 and Luke chapter 21 and 22 and you may have never tied John chapter 18 and 19 and 20 to Genesis chapter 1, but that's what happened. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, when Adam sinned, God spent the entire rest of the Bible trying to get the kingdom back in the earth, trying to get man back in control. Why? Because the earth, what he created, was in the wrong hand was in the hands of his enemy, was in the hands of a traitor, was in the hands of someone that tried to take him over and he shot down to the earth like a bolt of lightning. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And so God this entire time has been trying to get the earth back in man's control. Well, I thought God was in control. No, God is in control of one thing, his word. But if he says, I give you dominion, then he can't redact that. He can't take it back. He can't retract the statement. You are in control of the earth. You have dominion. And so Jesus made that available. So in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, there we saw that we are to receive the abundance of grace, the gift of righteousness, and we will reign in life. And so we have to have authorization and Tori, here's something that I, I saw today as I was going back over my, night, my notes and just praying and studying for tonight. People don't have a hard time believing that one man lost authority for everybody. But we struggle with the fact that one man got it back for everybody. We all know what Adam did, and we all see that. He brought death and sin and disaster into this world by his disobedience. But in Romans, there in chapter 5, in just a few verses earlier, it says that even as through one man's disobedience, death came, much more through one man's obedience, life came. That's why obedience is so important. Disobedience and obedience was the whole factor that changed the face of this thing. I heard uh, one minister say this that just 
Man, it was phenomenal. I had to write it down. It was so good. He said, he said it was the battle of gardens. It was the battle of gardens because in the Garden of Eden, Adam laid down God's will for his own will. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus laid down his will for God's will. Remember what he said? Not my will, but yours. Both happened in gardens. Both had to do with someone's will. Both had to do with somebody obeying and somebody disobeying. That's what it all came down to. And that's exciting because what Jesus did has made that life available to us. So let's go to Colossians chapter 1 because so far we've seen that we're to rule in life. God intended us for, to rule, intended for us to rule in life. We gave away that dominion. Jesus Christ came back and restored that kingdom and that dominion. And so now, here's what we look like in the kingdom. Here we go. Colossians chapter 1. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. We're going to stop right here. We're going to, let's go back to 13. We're going to define some words here. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. The power, that word power there is the Greek word exousia. Exousia, if you need a spelling, it's E-X-O-U-S-I-A, E-X-O-U-S-I-A. And that, that word power simply means uh, uh, the authority or control. So we were delivered from the authority of control or control of darkness. See, here's the funny thing. You're never doing what you really want to do. People think freedom is doing what I want to do. Well, I want to do what I want to do. And what we don't realize is when you're disobeying God, you're only obeying another voice. You're only obeying another authority. You are always in everything you do, every action, every word, every thought, everything you do in life, every choice you make, every decision you make, it all you are either doing it in obedience to God's authority or to Satan's authority, period. You're never doing what you want to do because the devil wants you to think you're doing what you want to do, but you're really doing what he wants you to do. And so you were delivered from the power or the authority or the control of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of the son of his love. Cut word conveyed means transferred. That word conveyed means transferred. Uh, the, the Hebrew Old Testament type that they're trying to pull for that word conveyed was when a nation would go in and conquer another nation and then pull out all their people and take them back to their home nation. That's what they're talking about, the transference. Uh, you can put it this way, the, that word conveyed has a connotation of being rescued. You were rescued out of the authority and the control of darkness. Even though you thought you were doing what you wanted to do, you weren't. You were obeying the devil, but you were rescued out of that, and you were brought into the kingdom of the son of his love. You were transferred. You were rescued. You were withdrawn out of that kingdom. Okay, so you are now a part of a different kingdom and a part of a different authority. Remember what we said? Uh, I don't know if we said it in this series or not. I want to say I did. Um, 
But we made the statement that you have no authority outside of you being under authority. If you can't submit to God, then nothing will submit to you. Don't bother, uh, don't bother praying over your finances if you're not going to give. If you're not going to obey the word and tithe and give as the word tells you to give. Don't bother praying. It ain't going to happen. Because you're not submitted to him. So why should anything submit to you? Don't uh, get your, the, the, uh, Mark chapter 11 verse 25 even says, that if you have ought against another brother, if, if you have uh, some kind of bitterness between somebody, then your prayer of faith is no and void. It's not going to work. So you're praying for sickness, you're praying uh, you know, for your marriage, you're praying for your home, or praying for that new job, but you're not in submission to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You ain't going to listen to God. Ain't nothing listening to you. Let's just go ahead and straighten that out. So you have to remain under authority before you can be in authority. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, this is where we're going to camp just for a little bit here. Well, for mostly most of the night. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. This is what we call the Pauline prayers. Paul wrote this book, um, and, and there's actually several of these prayers that we call the Pauline prayers. They are prayers that he prayed for the churches. You have one here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. You have another one uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. Uh, through the rest of that, I think it's like to 20, uh, maybe 21 or 22. And then um, you have Colossians chapter 1. Um, he prays again uh, for the churches. They're the Pauline prayers. This is the prayers he was praying for the churches that he was writing these letters to. Okay? And so listen to this prayer. We're going to start with verse 15. We're really going to buckle down towards the end of it, but I wanted you to hear the whole prayer. He says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's what he prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Well, well I thought that was only for pastors. No, he's praying this for everybody. Verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age or this time, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Uh, Jimmy, take us back up to verse 19. We're going to break this down. We're going to camp here a little bit. We're going to look at some stuff. First of all, we see some words that we just looked at in Colossians chapter 1. We see the word power. What is the exceeding greatness of his power? That word power, see, what you have to understand is that in the Bible times, um, they, they, they didn't have just one word for things. Uh, for example, the word love. Uh, in, in the Bible, they had different ways of expressing love. So there was agape love, which was the God, God kind of love. They had phileo, uh, which was the brotherly love. And then they had a love that was more romantic. 
you know, more uh, erotic. And then, uh, you know, they had a, a, a love like a family type of love. So there were different words, but in our language, we have one, love. So when you read the Bible and you see the word love, you have to know it's not always talking about the same kind of love. Because if it's God talking, he's talking about agape. If it's, you know, Paul saying, I love you, uh, you know, I, I write to the churches and I love you. He's probably talking phileo. He's probably talking about brotherly love. Uh, when he talks about uh, husband, love your wives. We're probably not talking about phileo love. We're talking about the more closer, deeper, passionate love. Okay? And so there are different words in their language where we have just one. Well, same thing with power. There's several. We already saw one, exousia, which means authority and control and dominion. But actually in this verse, verse 19, if you notice, the word power is in there twice. But it doesn't mean the same thing both times. It doesn't mean the same thing. What is the exceeding greatness of his power? This first power means uh, strength, exerted, miracle power, administered power. In one sense, it's talking about someone being powerful or having the ability to do something. Okay? And I'll show you the difference. So the greatness of his power or strength or ability toward us who believe, that means he has the power to perform according to the working of his mighty power. This power has to do more with the position. Has to do more uh, with like the position of authority, kind of like exousia, but not the same. Okay, so let me show you the two different kinds. Um, you know, uh, Chuck here, uh, you know, Chuck is a fit guy. I, I know you're athletic and you do those type of things. I don't know what you've done in the gym, if you bench and do those type of things. But say Chuck has strength to do, uh, he, he can go in the gym and bench 325, okay? So he's talking about his physical strength, his what his muscles are capable of doing. But we got a president, President Barack Obama, and he is a powerful man. But he may only be able to put up 200. But when I say powerful for him, I'm not talking the same power as Chuck. He's in a position of power, a position of honor, a position of authority. Whereas Chuck, Chuck's power that I'm referring to has to do with his strength and his ability to push weight and, and, and the might that is actually within him. So we're seeing here, it, he has exceeding great power, strength, according to the working of his mighty authority. So God, talking about two different kinds of power here, so far, we've seen three. We've seen the authority and the control. And then we've seen the power as in strength or the ability to perform something like a miracle that exerted strength, actually pushing weight. And then the last one we see here has to do with a position of authority. Okay? So let's keep going. Verse 20. Go to verse 20. Stay with me. I know it's Wednesday, and I know we've been working all day, but stay with me because this is important. Which he worked, which he worked what? Which he worked the power. The power which he worked 
in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him. Where did he seat him? At his right hand. At his right hand, though, this is specific. It's not his left hand. It's not, you know, further on down the line. It's not behind him. It's not in front of him. It's at his right hand. So, what does that mean? Well, during the Bible times, the right-hand position was very important. That meant first. The right hand was a position of dignity. Anytime a king placed someone at their right hand, they were equal in honor, dignity, and authority. They were equal to the king himself. You remember Joseph? Remember Joseph? And when he interpreted Pharaoh's dream, Pharaoh put him in charge of everything, and he said, only I will be over you. Only I can tell you what to do. You will be in charge of everything. That's a right-hand position. That's a right-hand position. There was nobody else. See, Jesus right now is seated in a place. He's equal with God. He's seated at the right hand of God, the right hand of the Father. And that right hand position is a position of equal dignity, honor, and power, authority, control. Jesus can't tell God what to do. And God still has authority over Jesus. That's why he was able to send his son. But there's no one that can tell Jesus what to do. And that's kind of what we saw last week. He's been placed back in a position of authority. So now let's go to verse 21. Let's keep on going. Verse 21, far above all principality, and there it is, power. That's the exousia. That's the first one we saw, that, that authority and that control. So Jesus is seated at the, at the right hand of the Father, Far above all principality, that means rule. All power, that means authority and control. And might and dominion, which again means to govern or to dictate. And every name that is named. I mean, there is nothing above Jesus. There is nothing in this list. Everything is below him. And every name that is named. Not only in this age. See, not just for a certain period of time, but for all the ages, the age which is to come, okay? So that's where Jesus is, verse 22. And he put all things, God put all things under his, Jesus' feet. And again, okay, what does this have to do with my authority? Here we go, ready? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He has all authority. He has all dominion. He has all control. Every name that is named. Watch. And gave him to be head over all things to the church. So who's the head? Jesus. Jesus is the head. The head of what? The church. Verse 23, because there's a comma right there. We're still going. Which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. 
Now we're getting somewhere. Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father, everything that is named, all rule, all principality, all dominion, all might, all power, under his feet. He's equal with God. Nothing controls Jesus. And we would all agree on that. But it says that God placed him as the head of a body, the church. Now, if I sit down here, is all of me sitting down? Would you say Pastor Mark is sitting down in this chair right now? Okay. You don't say Pastor Mark's head and body are both sitting in the chair. Right? We don't separate that out. My head and my body are one. So where my head is, so is my body. Stay with me. Jesus Seated at the right hand of the Father, all power, all might, all dominion, all control is under his feet, which, by the way, is another body part. Nothing is above him. Jesus is the head, and his body is the church. And he's seated, which means you're seated. Now, I could stop right there, and you'd have every reason to believe me. I mean, how can you refute that? That we're not seated with Jesus if, according to that verse, we are the body, and there's more verses with that. You can go to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, 13 through 16. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 through 27 talks about we are the body of Christ, okay? There's more. And I could stop right there, and there's nothing you can say. You would have to agree that we are seated with Jesus in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father, which is a position of control and authority. Remember, we're trying to get us over to where is our authority? How are we authorized? But... You don't have to take my word for it because Paul said it in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. This is the very next chapter. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together. We're in this thing together with Christ. And he reminds you, by grace you have been saved. But look what verse 6 says. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 17, if you have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, you will reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. 
How? Well, because Jesus, when he died and rose again, he ascended into heaven. He was placed at the right hand of the Father, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, anything that's controlled, anything that governs. He's above all of it. Then God placed him as the head of the church. What are you saying? I'm saying what Jesus rules, we should rule. The authority that Jesus has, we have. Let me put it to you this way. In fact, you will find that Jesus can't do anything without you. Don't believe me? I want you right now to only think about walking out that door. And I don't care how bad you want to go outside. If your body doesn't move, your head ain't doing nothing. Come on now. I'm just reading the Bible. I'm just showing you right here that Jesus is the head of the church. But we all know if your body ain't working, the head ain't doing nothing. You can't pop your head off your body right now and say, man, I want to go outside and get some fresh air and leave your body sitting there. You need the body to carry out what the head wants to do. Jesus has authority. Jesus has a will. Jesus has power. Jesus has authority. But unless the body's doing anything... He's not accomplishing anything. I'm talking about the believer's authority. I'm talking about your power. And this whole time we've been sitting around waiting for God to do something without us. We've been waiting for Jesus to supernaturally fix our finances without the body giving. We've been waiting for Jesus to supernaturally heal us without the body eating the word. If you don't eat naturally, your body will wither away. And you may have so many great things you want to do. I want to start a business. I want to raise a family. I want to go on vacation. I want to travel. I want to speak. I want to help people who are in need. But if you don't take care of the body, then it's all just in your head. Jesus is the head of the church. I like to put it this way. Jesus went to heaven, but he left his body on earth. So why did Jesus spend three years with 12 crazy people that never got along, were always bickering. They, they couldn't be more different from me. You got a fisherman and a tax collector and, uh, you know, just got all kinds of crazy people that he's hanging out with. Why did he do that? Because he realized everything I've done for the last three years is for nothing. 
if I don't leave somebody else behind to keep doing what I've been doing. It's believer's authority. We call it believer's authority because over in Matthew, uh, over in Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, he says, and these signs and wonders will follow those who are saved? No. Signs and wonders will follow those who are good enough? No. Signs and wonders will follow those who God handpicks to do his mighty works? No. It says signs and wonders will follow those who believe. He's saying you will be authorized over a specific territory if you believe. That's why it's called the believer's authority. So there are some, there's some authority that we have. Uh, basically, you can put it this way, and, and, and you'll notice in verse 5 and 6 of Ephesians chapter 2, you got the word together there in there three times. It says, we were made alive together. We are seated together. We were raised up together. This is a partnership. This is a partnership. You know, that's why I love doing vision partnership. I, I like that word better than membership because membership's just, you know, about, you know, uh, I'm a part of this. But partnering means you do something and I do something, and when we hook up, man, there's power that's made available. Being seated with Christ, being made alive with Christ, that means this is a partnership where the body carries out what the head wants to do. Look, this same this should not be weird to anybody because this partnership happens all day, every day in our lives. When you get out of bed, you get out of bed because your head thinks it and your body follows. When you eat, you're hungry and your head thinks, I will feed myself. And your body acts in cooperation and feeds you. Keeps your head from having to bury it in a bowl of food and slurp it or drink it down. There's cooperation going on. This is a partnership. So the authority of the believer is really just about fulfilling God's will and God's power in the earth. But you need to know about that. You need to know about it. Now, this wasn't a new concept. In fact, Jesus himself spoke of this when he was still on the earth. And in Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, we see an instance where uh, Jesus comes to his disciples and he asks them, who do men say that I am? Who do people say that I am? So his disciples say, well, you know, some say you're, uh, you know, uh, Elijah. Some people say you're John the Baptist, you know, back from the dead. Uh, and then Peter sp speaks up and he says, man, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I think you're the, I think you're Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus tells him, Simon, you didn't figure that out on your own. That was given to you by God. 
And then he says, I'm going to change your name. You're no longer Simon, which means watery and flaky. You're Peter, which means rock and hard place. He changes his name. And on in uh, verse 18, he says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Not religion, not denomination, not belief system. I will build my church. Who's the head of the church? Jesus. Who is the church? His body. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now let's look at the next verse. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What are keys? Keys denote authority. We've seen this before. If you have keys, it gives you access, and it gives you the authority to do something. I mean, if I hand my, my Chuck to keys tomorrow and say, hey, Chuck, uh, I, I need you to go up to the building uh, and, and do something. And so he has the key to unlock the door and get in. And he's authorized because I gave him authorization over a territory. So keys denote authority. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth. What? Not Jesus was doing all the binding and loosening. Jesus, bind this thing. Jesus, bind it. Jesus, I rebuke it. Jesus, I bind this thing. He's saying, you bind it. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Notice heaven is following you. Heaven is waiting on you. Heaven is waiting on the church to do something in the earth. Because heaven is in heaven, and you are in the earth, and you have been authorized over this territory. Keys are authority. You have been authorized from heaven in the earth. Whatever you bind on earth. What does bind mean? Bind means to forbid, to disallow, to, to, to not allow it to happen. Okay, it also carries with it the connotation of uh, uh, putting in chains or putting under control. So, who's putting things in control on the earth? We are. Who's forbidding things to happen in the earth? We are. Who should be speaking to hurricanes and telling them to stop or go somewhere else? We should. Who should be telling sickness to get out of our bodies? We should. Who should be calling our finances to come into alignment? We should. Who should be calling that job that you've been believing for and that you've been praying for, that area of influence? You should. We should. Whatever you bind. So whatever you forbid, whatever you prevent, Whatever you disallow, then it will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, what does loose mean? Loose means to allow. 
Whatever you allow to happen. Do you allow the blessings of God to, to come into your life? Do you allow your marriage to be restored? Do you allow your kids to grow up in the word of God? Do you allow? That is up to us. Basically, the simplest way to put it is things shouldn't happen in this domain without our permission. I know it's hard, but it's the word. Things should not happen, should not be allowed in this earth, should not be allowed to take place without the church's permission. That's why I carry very, uh, it's a high priority for me to teach and to instruct in this. Because if I just preach to you that Jesus is a gracious and merciful God, or God is, and he sent his son Jesus to come and die on the cross, and he was a very nice person that could do a lot of great things, but ultimately what he did for mankind was he died on a cross and took away our sins, and then he rose again so that we could have eternal life and live with him forever in a mansion in heaven. I'm doing you a great injustice. I'm doing you a a great injustice by only limiting a life of the believer, the life of a Christian, to heaven and doing good things and being a nice person. It's not my job. It's not my job. My job is to instruct. You know, there's people that want me to get people saved every service. There's people that want me to to give altar calls and just preach the cross, preach the cross, preach the cross. It's not my job. I'm just going to be honest with you. I want people saved. I have a heart for lost people. I have a heart for lost people to come into a kingdom. I have a heart for people that are in darkness and want to see them come into light. I have a heart for that. But I have a greater heart to instruct believers on who they really are. To me, what it, it's a terrible thing to see a lost person die and go to hell. It's terrible. Not when Jesus has done so much. But for me, I'll just be honest with you. What I hate even worse is seeing a Christian live like hell on earth. Lost people are lost. The Bible says, you know, Jesus, you know, God, he doesn't want anyone. He doesn't want to lose one. But we know there are those that will 
decide. And that's why, that's why it's worse for me, because we think that there are lost people that are going to hell and they don't realize what is happening. It's false. The Bible says that everybody will have the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. So if you go to hell, that means you rejected Jesus. But as a believer, if you come into the kingdom and then nothing's different and then you get to heaven and you realize the last 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 years that I spent on that planet, I was supposed to be taking this there? That's worse to me. That's worse to me. And that, I'm not an evangelist. And as a pastor, you shepherd people and you grow people up and you're teaching them and you're instructing them. But this is where my heart is at. And my prayer is that if I were to preach this message and there was a lost person in this building, that it would grip them so tightly that they would say, I want to be in the kingdom. I want to be a part of that nation. Because if someone were to come down here today and say, I want to go to heaven, will you pray with me that I'll die and go to heaven? I say, no. I won't pray that you'll go to heaven. That'll come. I don't have to pray for that. I want to pray that you come into the kingdom and you help change the world around you. That you go back to your home and you bring the kingdom to your home. You go to your job tomorrow, and you take the kingdom to your job tomorrow. You go to your kids' Little League baseball games, and you take the kingdom. You go to family reunions, and you show your family, I'm not the same person anymore. I make different decisions. I don't do what you're doing. I don't, I don't do things the way you taught me to do it or how you raised me anymore. I have been brought into the kingdom of God. Wow, you're different. Better believe I'm different. I'm in the world, but not of it. That's my heart. And I don't, I don't feel guilty about it. And when pastors want to push, or not pastors, because, you know, if you're a true pastor, you'll know that that's not your call, is to evangelize and to win the lost every... This whole turn that's happening in our nation of churches becoming evangelistic, there is an evangelistic mode, but I'm evangelizing right now because if there was a lost person in here, I'm telling you, this would grip them way more than, uh, you know, preaching hell till they can smell it and feel it and preaching heaven so that they just want to die tomorrow and go there. This will grip you more. You mean I can make a difference now? You mean I can be different now? You mean I don't have to put up with that junk? You mean I don't have to barely make it through? You mean I don't have to struggle through life? I can reign in life? Yeah. And so that's what this is all about. So in Matthew chapter 16, it's very important what happened there. We know John 3.16. That's one of our favorite verses. But Matthew chapter 16 Romans chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 2. Those are verses we need to come to grips with. 
And you might need to go and, and pull these verses offline because they're out there on version. You might need to go back and listen to some of these sermons and write these things down and get to know these verses. Get to learn, I can reign in life, I can control in life, I can dictate, I can govern. Because what Jesus wants to get done in the earth, he needs me to get it done. So that's what we got to learn. What we have to understand about Matthew chapter 16, I'll close with this, is that Jesus was speaking of what he was going to activate through his death and burial and resurrection. His death, burial, and resurrection, he activated your authority once again. Bible says he went back down, he went to hell, and he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. It says that he made an open spectacle of the devil. An open spectacle of the devil. Whipped him, stripped him, defeated him. God doesn't have an enemy. It's done. The battle's over. The battle's won. You're victorious. But through his death, burial, and resurrection, he activated your authority. Now, it is our job to implement what he activated. He activated our authority in the earth. He restored the kingdom of heaven in the earth. Now it's our job to implement that. Now it's our job to make that happen. Now it's our job to take rulership, to take authority, take control. That's our job. And so that's where we're going to start heading in the next few weeks is the implementation of what Jesus activated. Because you've seen it, and you have a hard time showing me that that we don't have control. You have a hard time showing me that we don't have a say-so in the earth. We have a hard time doing that. You've seen it. Now we have a responsibility to line up our lives with what the Word says. He says to reign in life. Reign in life. See, here's, here's the struggle. Here's the struggle that we come in is... It's easier to just barely make it. Sure, we don't like it, and we don't like the pain and suffering, and we don't like, you know, being behind every month, and uh, we, we don't like, you know, having to go home and argue with our families, but, you know, it doesn't require us to do anything. This requires you to do something. This brings a responsibility. This, re- this brings a responsibility, and a need to implement what Jesus activated. Amen? Father, we thank you. We thank you for this word tonight. We thank you, Father, that your word is life. Your word is peace. Your word is truth. Father, continue to show us what your word has to say about us. Father, I pray that as we meditate on this, as we study this, as we continue to get deeper in this, Father, I thank you that it will become more clear if there's things that we're still struggling with, that, 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 that those struggles will be eliminated. And Father, that we will see your word for what it is, the authority that you have given us, and that we'll be able to walk in that, that we won't just put up with life, but we'll reign in life as kings, 
You've called us to rule. You've called us to govern. You've called us to have dominion over territory. So, Father, we take that position. We take that authority. We take it seriously. And we thank you for what you're going to begin to do in our lives and in this church because of this word that's going forth in Jesus' name. Amen.